Thank you for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. Merry Christmas, everyone. I hope you are ready for the festivities to fill up your schedule this coming weekend. Probably won't be much hunting going on, but that's okay because it is one of the best times of the year. See how I just avoided the cliche song there? I actually, you know what? I actually wrote those lyrics into a pheasant hunting uh, uh, article that I wrote several months ago. And just in case you think that I copied off of uh, the boys over at Meat Eater doing their uh, most wonderful time to kill deer. Great song, by the way. And we're happy to advertise it because, you know, Mark's our buddy over there at Wired to Hunt. And that was on the Wired to Hunt podcast. But um, uh, I actually wrote my pheasant version uh, probably at least a month, maybe two months before I heard that. So, no, I didn't copy the idea uh that that uh i used was original to me so uh but no i hope you appreciate me not bursting into song there uh that may happen though on our christmas special it's coming up this is not the christmas special uh but this is a great episode this episode is with one of my favorite people to ever be on the podcast that's mr cole young uh, a member of the working class bow hunter team. If you've been listening to the podcast for a long time, you know exactly who he is. You also know that he gives us every single time he's on here one of the best, most informative episodes that we've had. Uh, that guy just knows so much about deer hunting. He's one of the people that was put on this earth to kill big bucks, and he does it very well. So you will have a ton of fun listening. He's also entertaining. He's got a good sense of humor. And um, Caleb actually was the one to join me on this one. What's cool there, and we'll talk about it, is we're all from the same area. And uh, none of us grew up friends or anything like that. But it is hunting that brought us all together. I love to say it all the time. Hunting brings people together. And uh, that's certainly the case here on this episode. Uh, Speaking of which... Uh, I hope you're finding a way to share your hunting experiences with others this fall. I have uh, certainly been doing that here lately with pheasant hunting. Uh, Just had a great weekend uh, out doing uh, some pheasant hunting on some of uh, the ground where I work. And uh, saw a lot of birds. We didn't get any, even though we saw about 30. Um, They're they're still uh, flushing pretty quick despite the winter weather. Um, And... uh, the, you know just the way things went um the easiest birds that we had easiest flushes were all hens uh so uh, still some uh, time left though not much maybe three weeks something like that two and a half weeks left is all of the pheasant season and same goes for deer so i hope you're getting out finding a way to do so but don't despair you still got some small game opportunities as well and then good old shed season will be here and caleb and i will be wandering the hills and valleys and the south facing slopes of iowa looking for 
that beautiful Iowa ivory uh, that we are so obsessed with and uh, my wife allows me to display all over the house. So let's stop this banter. It's late at night while I'm recording this. Speaking of late, this episode, you will notice we recorded quite a while ago. Uh, it's part of uh, the, the schedule that I've had with podcasting over the last year where things have uh, been kind of touch and go a little bit. And um, we recorded this one a while ago, though, and it's just uh, come up now in the uh, time frame for when to uh, publish it. So this is actually probably going to be one of our last deer specific episodes for a little while we might be able to squeak in a late season one again like we did last year um just to try and give folks uh some hope in that 11th hour of deer season they still haven't filled a tag yet to maybe get out there and do so uh but uh, you'll kind of notice that the timing on this is old it's kind of fun to look back though too because uh we talk about the buck that i was out to hunt and ended up shooting a bigger one very fortunate for for me on that case um you can hear all about that story in the last episode episode 101 where alex and i break down our uh deer season success this year but as for this one episode 102 another great interview with the man the big buck boogeyman himself cole young thank you so much for tuning in here on the first gen hunter podcast presented by Spartan Forge. Well, I feel uh, just tickled right now. And I, I feel, I feel uh, just all, uh, I don't know, amped up, I guess you could say. I kind of, it's almost like that feeling of when you've been away from your hometown for a while and then you like, go back to a football game or, you know, like the homecoming parade or something like that. And you see a bunch of people that you used to know, they mean a lot to you. Uh, they're the kind of people that just accept you for who you are, who you are. And, uh, uh, I got that feeling right now because we have a first gen hunter, like, I don't know what you'd say, alumnus maybe, I don't know, a guy who's been here pretty much since day one supporting First Gen Hunter in any way he can, and that is Mr. Cole Young. And I got to say something here. Not only has he been here since pretty much day one, helping out the show, building, helping me build the brand, sharing incredible content, but I think you are tied for first place, Cole, on – uh most appearances on the show. I think you are sitting right at the top of the pyramid, buddy. Um, and the guys that are, that are tied with you are, uh, two incredible, uh, deer hunters that are on a deer hunting TV show. And, uh, that just seems fitting for you to be sitting at the top of the pile, buddy. And I really appreciate having you back on the show. It's been far too long, man. Yeah, man. I'm glad to be back. I'd, feel like I should have a TV show now. <laughs> yeah, well, you definitely could. I don't know what they'd call it. Maybe like, uh, well, yeah, I do know. I used to call you the the big buck boogeyman. That's what they just call it. They call it like boogeyman or something. And uh, just be all these giant, like 15-year-old bucks 
you know, evading everyone their entire lives until Cole shows up in the woods and then arrows him within his first two sits. But, uh, <laughs> I can credit there. well, it, I, I mean, of course I, I'm, I'm probably exaggerating a little bit, but the, I'm not that far off. In fact, let's, let's kind of throw some numbers out of here, Cole. I'm just going to kind of, uh, almost do some rapid fire questions here just so listeners who maybe have just picked up the podcast here recently and haven't heard the past episodes or for those that have been listening for a long time i mean it's been too long since cole's been on the show so uh, we definitely gotta um uh you know get them updated here but let's start right here um how many bucks have you killed that are over four and a half years old. Oh, I don't know. Probably. I say at least six, maybe, maybe more like nine, nine. Okay. I, I, and I, I, shoot for, I shoot for five and a half. So sometimes I don't know if you count the four and a half. Yeah. It's probably, it's probably more like nine or 10. Okay, nine or ten. Good, good. So that's so I start at four and a half because most people say four and a half is like when you officially are talking about a buck who is is mature. But now let's let's keep upping the ante here a little bit. How many have you shot that are five and a half or older? Um probably six or seven of those ten are probably probably over five and a half. <laughs> How many over six and a half? Uh, at least four, probably. <laughs> what about seven and a half? Uh, you get you getting up there now. I don't know. Uh, three that I know of. Two, two or three that I know of. Two or three that I know. I'd of. say Randy. Randy. I think Tommy was. Flirting with seven and a half, he might have been six and a half. Um, and then for sure, the G3 buck, he was, I think he was, I think he was seven and a half. Might have, he could have been six and a half, but I'd have to look back. I think he was seven and a half as well. That is wild. Not eight and a half. I've shot one that's eight and a half old. You have shot one that's, that is or haven't? Nope, I've never. I well, not that I know of. I shouldn't. I shouldn't sure. say that. I, sure. Well, it's it's probably coming. That is just insane. Seven and a half year old bucks. I mean, you you can search high and low to find a buck that old. And if you think, well, it's because no one hunts around there. No, I. You know, Illinois doesn't have the number of hunters that like a Wisconsin has, or even maybe like a Missouri. Um, but they have a lot of hunters. They have more than Iowa. Um, they, uh, they're, they're right up there with the, the top whitetail hunting States. I mean, so it's not that like, you know, there's, there's yeah, no competition out there. These, these, he's getting this done in, uh, uh, an incredible whitetail area. So, uh, with, with plenty of competition around him, which is just incredible. Now let's go to the next thing. How many, uh, Boone and Crockett deer have you, uh, killed? Uh, for sure, three, maybe four. Wow, that's insane! You know, that's a that's a life goal. 
Uh, sorry, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's four. Three with bow and one with a gun. That's that is just crazy. But that's and the, the tr- one with gun. I mean ten feet. <laughs> I, I, I I hunted that deer with a bow for oh man. I mean all of October, all of November, I had him at probably thirty five yards, fifty five a- yards and 75 yards and then i happened to go out uh first day of second shotgun season and he literally walked right onto the stand it was like i have my shotgun gun is an old ithaca deer slayer with a scope and Mm -hmm. it was because you know it's pretty hard to find the vitals when the whole deer's in the scope but (laughs) only deer that i that's really, honestly, that's the only really big deer that I've ever shot with a gun. Otherwise, they're almost, yeah. almost all of them are here. Yeah, that's awesome. And again, the reason we do that rundown there is just to to give you an idea of the kind of things that Cole's accomplished in the deer woods. It's just nothing short of impressive i mean just really quite the resume and uh, we'll get into we'll get into some conversation here in a little bit about um what cole is hunting this year or rather who he's hunting because he's always got it narrowed down to one or two bucks that he's he's after but uh, we'll get there in a little bit but before this um i think the reason why it took so long in between uh cole young episodes is because Cole and I both were going through some uh, pretty hefty life changes last year. Um, I, of course, moved to a uh, new area. And I do want to say this. Caleb's on the line with us tonight, too. And all three of us grew up in the same area. And uh, here's the crazy thing. Even though we uh, uh, were probably playing in, you know, sports, various sports, tournaments at each other's schools um i know i played football and basketball uh cole i know you wrestled caleb you were a big uh uh running guy um maybe we crossed paths at some of those tournaments in years past or something i don't know but the point is we didn't even know each other until uh uh years after we were all out of high school and everything and what brought us all together was hunting and i say it all the time you know it's kind of become my uh like little mantra that i always repeat but hunting brings people together and uh that's what's represented here and so uh the three of us are all quad cities guys and uh i don't know guys would you agree with me that it'd be you'd be hard pressed to find a better whitetail community than the quad city area yeah i would agree I mean, the surrounding area, in, in a sense, I would say so. Yeah. 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 What do you think, Cole? I, I think there's probably, there's always those, uh, I think like deer camp in general is a, is like a camaraderie type deal. You're going to find that all over the place. But I, I would say that the Quad Cities, it's, it's a big deal. Yeah. You know, you got surrounding counties in Iowa and all the surrounding illinois yep so i mean i would most 
most of my buddies in high school were deer hunters. And then, you know, like I went to Blackhawk for two years and I randomly found guys that were deer hunters and at Blackhawk. And then you go, like I went down to Western and there you go. You got more deer hunters and yep. yeah, it's, it's a neat thing. That's how it works though. Yeah, it is. And you, even from like, uh, even from a hunting media standpoint. So Cole, if you remember is a team member of working class bow hunter and, uh, working class is really the, the, the pride of the quad cities as far as hunting content goes. It's just been incredible. What, what, uh, uh, Kirk, Eric and, uh, Doug, and even, you know, go back to the old days of, uh, old Stevie Moe and, and, uh, Logan and some of those guys that were doing it from, uh, day one. And then they brought on guys like, uh, Cole and, and, uh, even, a a guy who I don't believe is a, a team member, but is, you know, has close ties to working class and is a friend, uh, a mutual friend of Cole and me, Trevor Schmidt, who's been on this podcast before actually just got confirmation from Trevor last night. He's coming back on the show. So we're really looking forward to that. Um, and you know, all these guys just from the same area, uh, just great people that have given so much to the, the hunting community, I think, which is really cool. And you also have, you know, things like Tim Sylvia, you know, the, I believe he's a hall of famer, uh, UFC fighter who does a lot of hunting media, uh, there, uh, in the quad city area. And then, um, last breath TV, which you might know some of those guys, Cole, um, uh, they're kind of down in that Mercer County, Rock Island County area as well, that they're doing some pretty cool stuff. So yeah, it's just, such a such a uh incredible area and it's so woven into the culture of the area and cole's kind of describing that there with you know just running into deer hunters all over the place and really that culture so you know kind of coming full circle here with first gen hunter you know not growing up hunting myself but being around all these kids at school that are gone you know the uh you guys probably remember this when kids would be gone for uh the uh the first shotgun season like friday you know the kids would bring their deer <laughs> their deer tags into school and get the they'd get the day excused off of their absences for going hunting and you know just i don't you know, remember that because well, i was always I, the one leaving i was already gone <laughs> so already that's true yeah, yeah. <laughs> i was one of those poor kids who was stuck there doing uh you know doing homework while you guys were out having fun but no it's it's uh uh just you know, such a cool part of that culture that really brought me in, you know, when I had a chance to finally get into hunting, uh, so much of that, that community and that culture that I grew up in there, uh, really fostered the interest for me. So that was really cool. But so anyways, that was a big rabbit trail from what I was talking about. The reason Cole and I were so busy is because I moved away and, uh, Cole built a brand new house. How's the new house, Cole? Good. Just got the last bit of trim done. So now I can start working on my barn and finishing up my garage. About about done with the garage and then all the deer heads are gonna come in here. I feel bad my been sitting in my grandmother's basement for about eight months. But Dude, that's you gotta... don't complain. <laughs> well, it's gotta be killing you though, man. It's 
You know, I had a really uh, brutal year of work last year, my hardest year of work uh, by far. And um, it led to me changing my career. Now, I, I, uh, uh, I don't even know if you, if you quite know this yet, Cole. Um, we haven't really talked about it, I guess. But uh, I, I now work on a farm. I work on a uh, prairie grass and prairie flower farm, raising seed for to sell to for like CRP acres and backyard pollinator, backyard prairie mixes, all that stuff. Um, and so basically, I'm a farmer now, and I love it. I'm outside all the time, and uh, enjoy that. But um, uh, when I was in the the worst part of the, what'd you say? I said teacher never suited you, anyways. Didn't <laughs> seem like. <laughs> yeah, I know. I needed that outside time so bad. Uh, it's been it's been uh, it's been a nice transition for sure. But um, so. Last year being my, my most challenging uh, year of work, I remember um, I was talking about, of course, you know, I always tried to work this into my lessons as much hunting and, and deer into my <laughs> lessons at school as much as possible. And I don't remember what the conversation was, but I was talking about deer antlers. And uh, so I, you know, of course, all my stuff is boxed up like Coles is right now uh, because we just moved. And so I go and dig open the, my box of sheds and I pull out this shed and I remember like I was just having a miserable year of work and I saw that shed sitting out of that box on like my dresser or whatever. And instantly my mood improved. <laughs> like it's crazy how that stuff, you just put so much value on it. And so, you know what? I hope you get those deer heads out of your grandma's basement up in your garage and uh, you can you can be vibing for uh, deer season here, buddy. Oh yeah, it's gonna happen pretty soon. I just, uh, I mean, I have a pretty killer trophy room set up in my basement of my old house, and it's kind of pained me to to do this. But uh, you know, Tommy is in the house. Good. That's all that really matters to me. And I got a couple. I got. Uh, I got three of my other pretty good sized deer in here, but I, I mean, I got some giants over there at my grandma's. <laughs> she's, she's like 90 years old, so she don't ever go into the basement anyways, but sure. She, uh, she said something the other day. She's like, are you ever going to come get those out? And I'm like, yeah, don't worry. I'm, I'm coming. Don't, don't get rid of them. Yeah. Don't yeah, sell them. Right. Whatever you do. <laughs> I wish, uh, I wish, I wish Ariel liked to, would let me have a couple more in the house, but you know, yeah, you know how it is. Yep. Yep. Give and take, give like, and take. Oh, that matters. So I actually worked out a pretty sweet deal with Caitlin. Um, we, in the new farmhouse that we moved into, there was this little side room, which was always a, uh, uh, TV room, like kind of a den. And, you know, before we moved, I was just like envisioning, all right, there's my man cave. Because like you were saying, I had a pretty sweet little uh, man cave down in the basement of our last house. And um, uh, I I was like just assuming that's where it was going to be. And she's like, no, I want to turn that into a dining room. And it was like one of those disagreements for a while. Well, then what we settled on is I could have my – I could uh, have uh, my like 
deer mounts in the living room by the fireplace if uh that became the dining room so it's a uh, good look too i can confirm that's right caleb's <laughs> seen it It looks pretty sweet where he's at and so um i'm i just need to kind of complete it you know and i got like you know 10 foot tall ceilings almost so you know one of these days if i can get out west and shoot an elk i'll have plenty of room to to fit those antlers in there so you know it's all it's all give and take though right yeah ariel says that if uh well not if but when i go out west and shoot an elk that an elk would look good over the fireplace you know that's how oh, it works that you would build, be sweet i built the fireplace i built the whole house and that's what I get. I get two mounts in the house. <laughs> hey, I, that's better than me, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's awesome. So you did a lot of the work yourself, huh? Yeah, I built the whole thing, buddy. That is incredible. That's awesome. That is that is awesome. So I did all the concrete, and then uh, my house is actually a pole barn-style house. So Oh, very it, cool. I had, and they made it. They stood the sidewalls and um, made it weather tight, you know, put all the tin on. And then I did everything inside. I mean, all the framing, all the, I mean, I hung all the cabinetry. I had somebody do floors and I had somebody do drywall, but otherwise all the plumbing, all the electrical, um, had some help on the HVAC and a little bit on the plumbing. But other than that, I was pretty much, uh, that's why my deer season last year, didn't look like it normally did because uh yep. pretty much i worked 2 30 and then i'd come work on the house till you know 10 o'clock sometimes midnight and man well, that's awesome those houses are so cool is it does it have like you have like a big garage type attached to it on the side too like just built in yeah so it looks just like a two-story farmhouse and then i, I got love a that. 30 32 by 36 garage on oh, the side. Man, that's it's, awesome. It's all... Those are sweet. That's like my dream style house, those pole barn ones where just I, those those are so cool to me. You know, that's, that's great, man. Congrats you, on that. You know who else has a house like that? Maybe you already know this, Cole. Uh, Chase Burns uh, with uh, Dogwood Land Management and uh, Land mm-hmm. Guys. He's been on, he's been on working class before. Um, yeah, he's, he's, uh, uh, living in a house like that too. That, that is so cool. And, uh, I think it's a good way to also, uh, kind of like, uh, um, chases. I don't know if you've ever been out to his place, but he's pretty well off the grid and, uh, it's just cool that he was able to get that place up out there and, and just such a, I don't know. I, I really like them too, Caleb. I think they're, I think they're awesome. So no, that, yeah. When, when I lived in Northwest Iowa, they had a few out there and you, kind of drive past them out in the country and it was like can't get much better you know oh yeah for sure and then to be able to like custom customize it a little bit you know put in the fireplace and all that yeah that's just that's awesome but why we're not here to talk architecture all night fellas we're here to talk about (laughs) deer hunting and uh that the the house thing though transitions well into that because cole is right his deer season did not look like a normal Cole Young deer season last year. Well, in some ways it did. You shot a giant, but uh, it was like a uh, very uh, <laughs> a very abbreviated deer season for Cole. Um, how many days did you hunt last year, Cole? Uh, it couldn't have been more than a dozen. 
Yeah. And, uh, I mean, uh, I mean, just to put this in perspective, like, I mean, I don't know if you want me to go in full detail yet. I, I was basically dying to get out in the woods and I just, you know, I mean, it affects my mood. I don't know how you guys are, oh, but yeah, it's same. If I, like Ariel knows. So, you know, I'm basically, so I generaled the whole house and then on top of it, I'm doing all that work. So, yep. you know, October comes around and we're getting drywall in and I'm having to be here, you know, pretty much every day. And I mean, finally, I mean, she could see that like my stress level was through the roof. She's like, would you just go deer hunt? Cause you need to, <laughs> I said, I'm stressed out. I need to, you know, like, you just, just go hunt. You go take off a couple of days of work. And I said, well, I need to save them for whenever, you know, we need to do more work on the house. She's like, no, no, you just, you need to go out and get in the woods. I'm like, all right. But that's good. That's awesome. And you know, it's nice. It's nice. It, I was just talking about this with Caitlin the other day. Uh, Caleb, Caleb and I got in a little bit of trouble. Our deer, oh, no. our deer stand <laughs> hanging. Uh, That's a took, good story. It's took about story, two though. hours longer than we had planned, but um, uh, and we'll tell you the story here before the end of the episode. But, but uh, you know, Caitlin was was super nice about it and and all that, and I just told her like it's so helpful when I know that you're not gonna like chew me out or whatever. I can get things done more efficiently and more effectively when I'm not all stressed out and and all that. And, uh, it, if you're, if you're a married family guy and, uh, <laughs> if you're at war with your wife over getting out and getting to hunt, it's not near as enjoyable and you can't, you don't hunt as well either. I don't think so. Having that kind of no. support is, is critical. You can't kill big bucks if your wife sucks, man. You got, <laughs> you, yeah, that's, the words of austin chandler you you can't kill big bucks if your wife wife sucks you got <laughs> like my my wife no i mean if she asked me to do anything anything doesn't matter i'll do it but yep. she knows october november december she knows that i want to be doing that so she's totally cool about it i mean even just like the last actually like the last month She's had stuff going on like every single weekend. <laughs> she even felt bad the last this last weekend. She's like, man, I've been gone like every weekend for the last three weekends. And I was like, well, you know, it's it's not a big deal. She's like, so you need to get down to Macomb and get your stands hung and like cameras. I'm like, yeah, I do. Like, you're, well, you're like, oh, uh, you just wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it, 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 you ain't going to hear nothing from me when you start going down there every weekend or you're hunting on all the days I'm off. I'm like, all right, well, then yeah. that's good. You get, yep. you get a good understanding and you're good to go. Yep. That's right. right. It's part that's of the right. partnership of marriage. You know, you marry, you marry a deer hunter. There's kind of like that, that whatever, like in sickness and in health or whatever, you know, you might add <laughs> end in deer season. I'd like, it's like, you know, there's you get that tag end on there of like, <laughs> There's, 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 we're a different breed in that way, but that's so that's part of marriage. That's part of a good marriage, right? You must have built up a lot of brownie points for this deer season, then, right, Cole? You've got, you've got a lot like that and last year, built a beautiful house, 
got I mean you you've got like a month in my mind right now. I'm like you could just hunt anytime. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I build a house, all I gotta do is buy a car and then I'm good to go. Yeah. <laughs> like, right? Look, Ariel, I'm new- over here building houses and shooting one nineties. <laughs> what more can what more do you want? Right. Right. Uh, I want it all. I want it all. Man. That's right. That's if you don't right. Don't want it all, then don't even go out. <laughs> that's awesome, man. So the buck you did shoot though last year was no slouch. I remember look just staring at that picture and being like, Good grief. This thing is a it's a giant. I mean, now I will say this. It's an it's an eight point well, I'm talking with Cole earlier. It's technically a nine point because it's got like a little kicker, little scorable kicker or sticker or whatever you want to call it. <clears throat> But it's a really a mainframe eight and a very, very typical frame. And um, the mass on that thing was just wicked, man. Now, how did, did you have history with this buck or was he just like a mature buck that kind of came in out of nowhere once, you know, those bachelor groups broke up and everyone's hard horned and bucks start to run around a little bit more? Or did you know exactly who he was? Yeah, so that deer was it was that deer was on our farm the year before, and I actually picked up both sheds to him. Okay, and uh, so he he was just he was just an eight point with a little bitty kicker. We always called him the eight with kicker, and then going into the next year, I mean, he blew up. So I think he was a four-year-old and then going into his five-and-a-half-year-old year, I mean, he just put on tons and tons of inches. Mm-hmm. I mean, mass, everything. Yeah. And I, going back to, like, Ariel telling me to go hunting, I, I actually left for work that morning, and I got halfway to work, and I stopped, got off, turned around, and went straight to the deer stand. And I texted my boss. I says, I'm going hunting this morning. I'm going to take four hours this morning and I'll come to work when I get done. And, uh, I actually went to a stand that I set probably two years ago. Maybe not quite two, but it, I mean, it was, it was the, basically the summer before I had, so yeah, a year and a half or so. Mm-hmm. And I set the and like, I mean, it's, it ain't, but 150 yards off the road. <laughs> and I knew that, that, well, we got, we got kind of a, a spot that it's, it's a really thick bottom and it's just, it's a lot of like dense willows and it's on the, and it's, it's really easy to get to. And, uh, I just pulled into our farm, grabbed my bow and, you know, in five minutes I'm in the stand and I, it's a ladder stand, which I did something that I, I mean, I think I'm even on record on working class saying that you're never going to, you're never going to kill a mature deer out of a ladder stand with a bow. Mm, I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure I said, <laughs> but <laughs> What I did is I took another section from a 
another ladder stand and I turned a 15 foot ladder stand into basically like a 20 foot ladder stand. Okay. Nice. And, uh, I knew this buck was in the area, but I was actually hunting a different deer. That's a really big eight pointer and he's six and a half years old and uh, he's a bully. And that's the deer that I, I was actually after. So I get in the sand and it ain't five minutes later, maybe 10. Like I don't even have my bow hung up and I just hear a bunch of grunting. I mean, it's pitch black and this deer walks by, or I mean, trots by, I mean, 10 yards in front of the stand and I can see that he's got headgear, you know, like it's, yeah. it's not like a, Hey, that might be a little buck. No, it's a pretty good deer. Right. And then there's a lot of crashing and everything goes on. And I, I mean, granted, I can only see, I mean, when it's light out, you can see maybe 150 yards to the north, but to the west and to the south, you can't hardly see 20 yards. Oh, man. So it, it comes, you know, daylight comes and I get a couple of deer trickling in, but it's, it's pretty quiet for the most part. And then about 8 o'clock, I hear a bunch of grunting, you know, and some serious stuff going on in the, in the thicket. And I'm like, man, I got, I got a doe in here. I know I do. Mm-hmm. So I get another deer that has got just this massive lopsided rack. So he's got a four point side that's got probably like 12 inch twos and threes on oh. his left side. And then his right side is just, I mean, just a stack of five inch tines. Oh, weird. And it's weird. That's so weird. Yeah. Yeah. We, what the heck did we call him? I can't remember what we called him. We had a name for him, but anyways, he, he comes pretty close and I get to looking at this deer and I'm like, you know what? He's pretty cool. And you know, I've been working on this house. Like, I, I kind of want to do something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, he, We've all been there. Fast, and and he goes into this thicket. He gets ran back out. And I'm like, all right, that the deer that's in that thicket is the one I want. That's that's the deer. Yeah. So, and I look up, and this deer, kicker, is sitting there just destroying a tree. I mean, just baffling. He's just, I mean, he's getting into it. So I let him kind of work that. And I'm like, maybe he's, you know, he's the deer maybe pushing the stove. Right. So he goes into this thing and he gets like 10 feet from it. And here, and he's got that other lopsided deer with him. And this other deer, which I will say had a smaller rack then kicker he comes out of that thicket and just pushes both them deer completely out of the area i'm like wow <laughs> i believe that so this whole time i'm thinking that because this the deer i shot and that big gate i was after they got a similar frame so i thought uh, that was that 
big eight pointer that I was after. But sure. after that, I just hit after after I seen like the size of all those three deer, I was like, well, I'm just gonna hit hit the ground call a little bit. So I just give a couple little grunts here and there, and pretty soon here comes back that lopsided deer, and he gets like 60 yards. He works a scrape. He starts rubbing a tree, and then he turns around and he leaves. And goes back into that thicket. Well, then here comes that eight with a kicker. He comes back and he's working a scrape. Couple more grunts here and there. Then here comes that other buck. He runs them both off again. So I'm like, all right. I think I got them all interested. So they all move out. That other buck goes back to his doe. Those two other bucks, they kind of get off. I know they don't go far, but they're they're out of my line of sight, right? Mm-hmm. So I just start hitting that grunt off just barely. Just soft grunts, soft grunts. Pretty soon, here comes that lopsided deer. And I'm like, you know what? If he comes right down the pipe, I'm going to shoot him. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a really cool buck to have uh total he's a 50 inch deer easy oh so, man but was right a behind crazy him, rack like that that's awesome right behind him is that eight with a kicker and i'm like oh boy now we got something <laughs> so i let i mean they walked i mean right down the gauntlet i let that lopsided deer walk Pretty soon, here comes that eight with a kicker. I mean, it couldn't have been 15 yards. Put it right in the wheelhouse, pulled the trigger, and I mean, if if you would have asked me five seconds after the shot, that deer, I would have had 100% confidence. Mm-hmm. Sure. So he run, bounds off about... 20 yards into some just straight thick willows and he just stands there and i'm like go down go down like there's no way in my head i mean it's 15 yards i've shot plenty of deer with a bow yeah i pinwheeled him and he just stands there and it turns from a minute to 15 minutes Oh man! And he just stands there, stands there, and stands there, and then finally he just walks off. Oh no! I couldn't get an arrow in him, and then I just sat there. I sat there for. So I think I shot him at like ten o'clock in the morning. I think I sat there until like eleven thirty. Okay. Wow. And I was just like. I mean, I would be. I'm. I'm exhausted. Just all these bucks just here and running around. Like I'm just. I would be exhausted, and then that happening, I'd be like. I need to take a nap, but I couldn't <laughs> sleep. You... <laughs> no, I I had no idea what to do. I was just like... Well, plus I you don't... got the clock going in the back of your head. Like, I told my boss I was going to be in today. And n- now you've got possibly a, you know, an all-day thing on your plate with waiting to, for this buck to die. Yeah, so I called my brother, and he's like, he's like, I didn't even know you were hunting. I was like are you hunting he's like yeah i just got out of the stand i'm like 
Oh, well, <laughs> I just got it. He's like, are you, are you serious on the first set? I'm like, yep, first set. He's like, you lucky son of a gun. It's got to be awful tough to be Cole Young's uh, brother. <laughs> hey, he's the right now, so it's not that bad. <laughs> no, I'm just so, playing, man. So he he call he texts me and then I finally get back up to the barn and he's like I told him where I shot him he goes ah oh, man he's he's got to be dead I'm like no nah, I just I got a bad feeling about this one and he's like he's like dude no way you hit him if you hit him where you said he did I was like I hit him right behind the shoulder and this is what he did and he acted weird and I just I got a weird feeling about it I feel like we should just let him play. So he went home, I went home, we came back out like three hours later and we start tracking this deer and, uh, he's all over the place, man. He's just in and out of willows, bedding down, getting up, you know, he's going backtracking. He's, he's doing all the stuff that a deer that's deadly wounded is doing. And then finally he just gets on a, like, he must have got his legs and he just beelines all the way through this patch, which is probably 350 yards. Oh man. And, and that's when I, I was like, we got to stop. All I right. said, if we get across man. in all honesty, it's actually good that he made it all the way through that patch because it is the thickest, nastiest stuff you can imagine. I mean, it took me and him three and a half hours to track that deer probably 500 yards oh man. wow that's crazy is it all just like bush honeysuckle and multiflora rose willows and all that kind of stuff nope it's just straight willows and swamp grass and it's just nasty bottom ground okay it's just, i mean you just you're you're walking through willow saplings that are six inches apart you know oh it's, man yeah, just tripping and and yeah. grabbing your boot and everything else. So we get him to this field edge, and I said, if he makes it across this field and then he heads up the hill, if we find blood on the other side of this field edge, we're stopping. So, I mean, didn't, we only went across that field edge. I looked around the trail, seen blood. I just stuck a stick in there, and I said, we're done. Mm. So I go to work the next day and i was like i'm taking off i couldn't i couldn't stand it anymore i took off at noon and i went back i walked straight up the hill and the whole time at work i'm like man like i know when i shoot a deer in the right spot and i was like man i just cannot figure out why he's not dead can't figure it out so i'm thinking I mean, I've hunted for, I don't know, 18, 20 years, whatever. Mm-hmm. I've never, I've never liver hit a deer. Well, I've never liver hit a deer to where I legitimately thought I hit a, like hit him good. And then had thoughts later, like, ah, this seems like a liver hit deer. Right. But so we, I get up the hill. I make a huge loop because I kind of lost blood and I'm coming all 
on the way back, and I look over and I see a white belly. Look over, there he is laying there. He was seventy yards where we lost blood. Wow! And I walk up and he's at eight with a kicker, and he's just super massive. Oh yeah, huge bladed like eight inch brow tines. I mean, they're like two and a half inches wide. Mm-hmm. Just an absolute giant of a deer. Yep. And uh, I'm looking at a picture of him right now. Uh, the, everything Cole just said is, is spot on. Uh, the one thing you can't see very well in the picture is, uh, that little kicker off the back, but you can see it a little bit and the mass on those brow tines. I don't know if I've ever seen such massive brow tines and then that, that's not it. The going down from there down to the burr, you know, the base of the antler is just, I mean, they're, they're pop cans down there i mean soup cans maybe it'd be a better description for the the mass on those things just a wild looking deer but so you you spot that white belly and then did you just i mean you had to be thinking at that point like is this that you know is this that horror story that you know every hunter hopes they never have to endure but you know, sadly enough happens often where uh, you hit a buck and he just leaves your life and you're never going to find him. Yeah. I mean, I've had that, man. I've had, I've had deer where I legitimately, you know, one lunged them and yeah. they get away. I mean, I, I probably had, I mean, to this day, I've had three three deer that were all of two of them were over one sixty, and one of them was over one forty. That those are the three deer that I lost, and it's still wow. It's still me. Yep. One of them, you know, one of them I legitimately found just foamy lung blood, and that deer ran and ran and ran and ran, and we we tracked him like almost a whole mile hmm. and then uh lost blood and i ended up finding the deer shed and then getting pictures of him the next year and then i never ever ever seen him again wow but wow it was nice to find like i felt so relieved because i this would have been a hard one for me because i oh yeah it's when you have deer you have the, when you have the confidence that you just pinwheeled the deer, you know, I bet the other, the other three, I was like, man, that was a marginal shot. Like I, the, the one I shot in what I think was right in the diaphragm. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, he had a hole in his side, but you could see him breathing and then he ran off. And then the other one, I bounced off his spine and oh. it was such a bad angle. But I, this was the one deer where I'm like, man, there is no way that deer did yeah. not die. Yeah. I mean, you don't, you don't get a two and a half inch cut in your liver and live or the lung or whatever. But it yeah. was, uh, I was definitely grateful that I was able to find that deer and I was not going to give up. My, 
my brother was like, man, we might never find that deer. I'm like, I'm, I'm finding that son of a gun. Yeah. Well, it's, it's it, so did it for sure end up being a liver shot? Like, like, yeah, when you- I, I believe, I believe it was, and maybe, you know, every deer, I mean, I think this is a different conversation, but I mean, just like you, the insides of you are made up a little bit different than the insides of me. Yeah. I mean, if I sent you the pictures, I don't know if you're looking at the pictures right now, but if you see the pictures, you're like, man, that's right behind the shoulder. Hmm. And I sent my brother a picture and he's like, how, how did that deer go that far? Like, Oh yeah. I see the picture. It was, now. Yeah. That, you'd think that was, would be double long for sure. With that, now and, with that huge. If it was double long, that's the ton of a gun I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's but wild. the way that it was, he was, it was really dark blood and he inside was, I mean, like that wound was really, I mean, it was almost purple by the time I got there. So I would say more than likely, I just straight up blew up his liver. He, yeah. When he came and when I stopped him, I think his, I think what happened is his back leg was back or his front leg was back and his back leg was forward on that side. Okay. And I aimed right behind his shoulder. So where the cut looks is not technically where I hit him in the vitals, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, you got that. I mean, on a deer, that could be six, eight inches of motion. Right. You know? And that's the difference between a, a liver shot and a double lung. Well, and obviously this isn't the same situation, but um, I've – Definitely, you know, after hearing this, it made a lot of sense. You could think like you just got, you know, a, a, you know, a good long shot, double long shot or something on a buck, but you know, like, okay, it's probably is a little bit low, you know, or maybe a little high, a little back or something, but, um, back's probably not going to be so much of an issue in this case, but if you shoot at that buck and you're on like the outer edge of the lung and that buck was uh, exhaling when you go to shoot, that long, the lungs, when they're deflating to exhale, they are way, way like compact in the chest compared to when they're inhaling and their, their lungs are fully inflated and they're filling up that that uh, chest cavity there, you know, you could, you could almost, uh, you know, miss if you had an edge shot that should have been long. If the, the deer just happened to be, um, you know, exhaling when you shot, uh, that lung was, was all flattened out and your arrow totally missed long. I mean, it's still going to really hurt them. I mean, you got a, air or an arrow through your chest, but you may not hit vitals like you, you think you would on some of those shots, even though the arrow placement seems to be pretty decent. And uh, obviously that's a different situation here for Coles where it was just liver instead of lungs, but you know, it's a good, I mean, it's a good story in the sense that thankfully it had a happy ending, but also just a reminder to persevere, you know, and, and keep looking. Cause you, you know, it, 
what I would be thinking if I would have been in your shoes, Cole, of course you're finding blood, but, um, I would have been thinking like, I obviously, you know, I must've thought I saw that arrow hit somewhere different than where it really hit. And, um, I would have been tempted to, to, to call it after all those hours of, you know, just like, here we go again. You know, I hit another buck that I'm never going to recover, but it was good that you stayed with it. And, you know, eventually it paid off and that, you know, I, I don't think, I don't think deer, I've never heard of a deer surviving a liver shot, but a single lung, kind of like the story you're talking about. We actually, I actually talked to a, uh, a deer tracker, uh, on the podcast once. And she said, that's the worst call that they get when somebody calls and says they got, they got a single long hit on a buck. Uh, if you've been listening to the podcast for a long time, that's what happened to me back in 2020. Um, during archery season, I single lunged a buck and, uh, found him twice. And, um, both times he took off running. And that was after waiting eight hours the first time and then wow. overnight the second time. And, uh, yeah. They'll live. yeah. And, and the yeah. second time he just ran out of my life. They'll live. Yep. hundred percent. If they got enough willpower, they'll live. Yep. Yep. My, my old man was, I mean, strict to uh, the nth degree about that stuff. I mean, you you put a bullet or an arrow in a deer, you better give it all you got to find them. And there there ain't nothing worse than than losing a deer that I mean, I I think that that's something that maybe maybe people that don't understand hunting yeah. don't have a grasp on is that right. I have way more respect for that animal than you would ever think. I mean, it's kind of, I mean, I know that some people think like, how can you, how can you like or love an animal that you're going to go out and kill? And it's, that's what it is. I mean, I, I, I love the deer to a disgusting degree that I am hunting. And yep. there's, there's almost a, like there's been several deer that I've shot and it's like when it's over, it's like, Oh man, you know, I, uh, there's, there's a little bit of empathy that I feel at the end of it, you know, but it's like a mutual respect type of deal. And that's kind of where I've evolved as a hunter. Actually, if you guys have not watched it, there's, there's a, and I don't care how you feel about Steve Renella or whatever <laughs> group he's in. I, I think that he means well. I really do. Yeah. I think that Steve Renell is a good yeah, I think he's a good spokesman for honors. I yeah, I really I do. I like him, yeah. There's, I think he's I think he's improved the the hunting community, you know. He's just brought like a he show he's he's demonstrated exactly what you're talking about, you know, where it, we care yeah, about he what, learn about these things. You guys watch that? Yes, yeah. yes, that's oh. excellent. It's phenomenal and that's a lot about what it is and i think that the the right sportsmen feel exactly how 
he portrays it. Mm-hmm. He's a good spokesman from he to anti hunters. He knows how to talk and yeah. And I think he's really good. Another really good part about that. I think it's actually kind of how, how the documentary starts. And it's, uh, it's something about how, uh, like there was some tribe up in, or some indigenous people up in Alaska that basically that's how like hanging skulls or, or or your trophy started. Like you'd put your bear skull in your house so that they could see who you were and know that they were hunted by an honorable man and they somehow would speak to the other bears and they would somehow that would make them more, you, you'd be a better hunter because honorable bears would, would somehow flock to you in a sense. I mean, he says it way better, but I, I really do feel like that's how, that's how I hunt basically is I want the deer that I kill. I want them. If there is some sort of sacred place where deer know who killed them, I want them to know that they were killed by an honorable person. Well, I, you know, we joke about it from time to time. You know, I say, you know, be like, you know, if somebody hunted me, I'd want to, I'd want to make sure that they uh, tried some good <laughs> recipes on my back straps. But the, the, I mean, really, I mean, I think if you're going to be that kind of mindful hunter that uh, Cole's describing here, and, and Steve, I agree, did an excellent job. And the, the documentary is Stars in the Sky. I think you can get it on Netflix. I think it's still there. Uh, you can you can view it there, but um, the the thing that he's really doing is saying, let me put myself in the in the place of the deer or of the game, you know, and and if I was the one being hunted, would I want to be hunted by someone who you know views things as I do, and and uh, I think that that's a good that's a good thing to do to help keep the right perspective and mindset and, and, uh, you know, put in the right amount of effort when you're, you're trying to make something happen. So, yeah, I think, I think that's a great point. Well, we're getting into, I mean, what's kind of cool is, uh, I asked Cole to do this interview last week and, uh, I was like, you know, I should, I should go back and listen to the story of, of, um, uh, Randy on, working class bow hunter. Uh, again, that's, uh, uh, Cole is a team member for working class and, and they've done so many great things for the hunting community, but, but, um, Cole, uh, in that story, uh, told about this really old buck. And as I was listening to it, it was just such a, such a cool story. You can go back and hear the story of Randy either on working class or, uh, uh you can hear it on this podcast too. I think it's the first interview that I did with Cole, which might be all the way down in the teens. That's how long, actually, I think it might be like episode 12. So you can go all the way back then. And, uh, right now we're recording 90 something here, um, with, with Cole. So that's how long he's been around with, first gen hunter, but the, the thing that was so cool about it was 
when I looked back, when did that episode air? It was aired on September. I think it was like uh, 30th or something. Or like, yeah, I think it was. There's 30 days in September, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I should know this. But uh, it's like the day before opening day is when that episode aired. And uh, we're not quite there yet. We're, you know, two weeks away or whatever. And um, we're getting so close. And I think the way Cole approaches the early season is uh, really cool. And you, you've talked about this in detail many times, Cole, so you don't have to like really go into it because um, I know you get asked about it a lot. But um, observation sits. Uh, Cole puts a lot of stock. Now, obviously, last year you didn't have any time for any observation sits. You just had to get out there and get some hunting done. But um, with observation sits, you're going to a, play, a point on your property where you can do just that, right? Yeah. So, I mean, basically that's how, that's how I've hunted since I was probably 16 years old. I try to get to a spot where I can see a long ways and it helps if you're, I mean, it it helps if you're kind of on the edge, really thick timber. But that's not always the case. I've I've done it. I mean, I have observation stands on my own piece of ground here close that it's CRP on both sides of the tree line. Mm-hmm. And the only time that I, I'd say the only time that really thick cover close helps is if you really want to call, which I that's probably how I've killed half the deer that I've killed. Mm. But I always try to start the season with some observation stands with the intent to either call or either move. So, I mean, I just got back from my farm down south and I set up another observation stand and I can see basically the entire bottom of a tree planting field. And I know that if the wind is coming from the direction that I want to hunt it on, that that's the way that bucks are going to walk that field or they're going to walk that edge that I'm on. And that's how I like, I like to watch from a distance to begin with and mm-hmm. then really zero in on it. Cause if you Have can you- watch a Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was about to say, have you ever have you ever shot and one of the like a buck you've been after like during one of those? I don't want to steal a question from you. Ken, no, no, that's was a great question. Going, I'm sure you, a ton that, of people are wondering that right now. On on those hunts before, where you're like, you, you watch them come from a thousand yards away, or maybe they they come out fifty yards away and just you know you come into ten. Yeah, I mean that. I mean, on the honestly the. The intent is to see a lot of deer and to mm-hmm. see a lot of movement and to maybe, you know, work on, uh, work in on a really good buck. But I mean, if say I got good cover behind me and a buck walks out 250 yards away and I call at him right, and he running, I mean, that, that's, that's what you're there to do. Right. And that's actually yep. how I shot one of my very first, 
really big deer, like 171 inches or something like that when I was like 18. Mm. That's exactly how I, I, I put up a stand when, I mean, my old man had hunted that spot for 10 years and I moved the stand 30 yards and. Was it the first, first sit in that stand? No. Okay. Those. This year was like the very, very exception of, <laughs> I can't even believe because I've never, ever shot a deer on the first set. Well, a uh, lot of guys do that though. Like a lot, I've heard, you know, a lot of guys will say sometimes your best sits your first set. So I was like, I wonder, you know, you move this, is that a theme of yours in the past, but apparently not, huh? No, I think that year I sat, actually the year before I sat, I think it was like 60 some days. And I mean, that was back then I used to, uh, like I was deer cast before deer cast was a thing. I, (laughs) I kept a notebook and I wrote down the date, the weather, the temperature, barometer pressure, what deer came out, where, what they did when they came out. I mean, I was. I was pretty serious about it, and that's why yeah. when like when when like deer cast and, and all this other stuff came out, I was like, man, I had that idea like a long time ago. I should have like patented that. Or something. <laughs> yeah, right. But no, that's, but, that's pretty uh, cool though that you're gathering data even back then. Well, I mean, that's how you learn. Yep. You, I mean, that's science, right? That's science. You were just doing the science of deer hunting, is what you were doing. Yeah, for sure. But observate. I mean, I feel like if you if you have a piece of property that is, I always feel like being far away and then getting closer is a better method than trying to get right in on top. Of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I I feel that way about a lot of stuff with deer hunting now, like even with trail cameras, even with, I mean, any pressure is pressure. Mm-hmm. So if, if you think that putting a trail camera in a bedding area is no big deal. I mean, I'm here to tell you that if there's a, I mean, if you happen to set that trail camera exactly where a big buck's going to bed and he's going to, you know, he's going to get his picture taken every single day. I mean, I know that cameras are good now, but I just don't see it. I think that they will immediately switch exactly what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And I've been, I, I buy into that 100%. I, Caleb and I have had a lot of conversations about this. And uh, last year was the first year where I had, I had a couple cameras running on, uh, actually, you know, I don't think I had any cameras running during the season last year. I think they all died before the season. I'd put them out on this, this remote farm that I, I don't get to near often enough. And that was the only farm I was running cameras on that during the season. And, um, it, uh, totally changed my season last year. It was more fun, you know, like you're seeing these bucks show up and you're like, 
who are you? Oh, I think I recognize you from last year, you know, and like all this, this, you know, like old school way of getting data, but also the biggest thing I noticed that the deer seemed less pressured exactly like, uh, Cole's saying, you know, um, I think you can get a ton of value. I mean, Cole, you, you've obviously you, yeah, we, before we, uh, started recording, I was telling Caleb the story of Tommy, you had a trail camera out there. That's how you found out about Tommy, but <clears throat> that trail camera, like you were saying, wasn't in his bedroom. It was at a scrape site, you know, a place where, where he's always going to be drawn to for one, because, you know, the scent and, and just the communication value that, that deer have in those areas, as opposed to like moving right in where he's, you know, spending, spending his most vulnerable moments, you know, that I, I 100% agree with that. I think, I think trail cameras leave a, a impression that is far greater than most people realize. But I will also say this. I think there's some people, um, I've had this conversation actually with Trevor Schmidt a little bit. And uh, I think Trevor uh, just knows what he's doing well enough to where he knows how to minimize that. And he can, and, and the same is true for you, Cole, where you guys know how to hang a, a camera in a way that isn't going to create pressure. And I think it also has to do with the kind of camera you're using too. Would you agree with that? Yeah. And I don't know. The I, when I am setting cameras, I'm, I'm usually just gathering Intel mm-hmm. for next year. And mm. I'll be, I mean, I already know what deer I'm hunting this year and all I'm doing with cameras right now is seeing what's out there for next year. Yeah. To be completely honest. Yeah. I mean, I think that's where I've kind of, well, I've kind of evolved on her as I, I try to be more efficient and I have very much so become extremely specialized in, I guess, creating something for the deer that I'm after. So if like last year, I know that a big deer on our property was in a specific area. Mm -hmm. And so what I did this year is I went in and I did a whole bunch of stuff. I cleaned up some trees. I planted an extra food plot and I did a few things, you know, created some scrapes for him so that when he comes in this fall, he's going to, he already wants to be there, right? He already wants to be there. He's been there the last two years. Mm-hmm. So now all of a sudden, oh, instead of, I don't have to walk around all these downfalls. I can just walk right through here. Perfect. Yeah. So I don't have to go look for a green field. There's just one right next to my bedding area. Perfect. Mm. You know? Yep. So yeah. it, that's kind of how I've designed my strategy now. I, I think as the kids become more, I guess they, they require more time. You know, it's not that I don't want to be out 
I want to increase my chances and I want to use my time as wisely as I can. Sure. So I think I've just, just tried to become more efficient and I've, I've done a good job the last few years. That's not to say that that's going to continue. I mean, I went 10 years without here with a bow, but mm-hmm. there's, there's good and, and bad day. But that's kind of where I've, you know, there's, there's all sorts of different phases to how you deer hunt. I mean, yep. mm-hmm. the younger guy, I mean, I was there where you, I mean, you're just out there. You just want to be out there. Right. And you want to kill thing that walks by. Yep. And I was there. I mean, I was shooting raccoons with <laughs> old thunderhead broadheads and Easton you know, aluminum arrows written by Parker youthful. Like I, <laughs> I was there. That's was awesome. Doing. Yep. And now I'm, now I just, I really have tried to specialize and I think that that's, I mean, it's a good thing. Yeah. And oh then, yeah. And it's paid off for you too. I mean, the proof is there on your wall or your grandma's basement rather, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's, it's for sure. It's for sure. Uh, paid off for you and and you know i think that that uh trail cameras can absolutely be a a great tool but i do think that that um they can also and often are not used correctly so take what cole you know talking about there and and take it to heart i think a big key there too is what he was saying about He's using it for next year. Well, if you're viewing that as something for next year, then you ain't going to be in there pushing deer around, grabbing your card, uh, you know, during the season or at least at a time that's different than when you're hunting. You know, I know some guys that they put a camera pretty close to their stands. They can just grab swap cards on their way into their stand and they're not really going to have much additional impact, but, so, I mean, that, that, that can be a good tactic there, but also, you know, uh, Brandon, you know, the normal coast couldn't be here tonight. Um, he, uh, talks about using, he likes to use trees that have a forward lean to them. So that way they, the picture kind of comes from above. So it's a little bit, you know, less detected, less detectable by the bucks. You know, um, I think Dan Infault, uh, likes to use uh, the little uh, screw in uh, camera holders that you can mount them on. And he, he likes to one stick uh, his cameras, meaning he'll take like a lone wolf climbing stick with him, you know, something nice, lightweight, portable, strap that to the tree, get up nice and high, put it so that the, you know, no one can steal your camera and you got it angled down on the deer more so that the flash isn't going on right at face level, yeah. you know? Hang it, yep. It's just hanging them high is definitely, I mean, that's my strategy. Most of the time, usually what I use is I just back the gator up and I stand in the bed. Nice. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good idea. Yeah. So, I mean, but, just some, some good practical stuff there to mitigate, that pressure and let that buck feel safe in his bed, which takes me to the next thing, Cole, I got to, I mean, we're, we're getting long here. We got to get, get going, but, um, 
last week when Caleb and I were hanging stands, which I know is kind of <laughs> kind of late in the the year to be doing that, but dad life, work life, all the normal excuses, right? But um, hey, stands last weekend too. So. Yeah, so I mean, you just you got to do it when you got to do it. And Caleb and I were in the morning, and uh, we uh, got our tree picked out. Um, we're seeing all kinds of good sign and Caleb's like, man, just looking at the, the way that the, you can see a real, very distinct browse line on all the like waist high plants in the timber, you know, like you, it was weird. You could just, it was like weird. You just tell that a deer has been, been in here, just nipping the tops off of these plants. And he's like, man, I just, and we found a couple of beds. And, and some buck poop. Yep. And we were, and Caleb's like, I, I really just feel like there is a, a one buck who is just kind of living in this corner here of the timber. And uh, so we get one stick onto the tree. I'm putting the second stick in. I'm climbing the tree, you know, getting ready to strap the second s- stick. And Caleb's down on the ground, you know, kind of like uh, uh, passing straps up to me and, and sawn branches and stuff like that. And all of a sudden he's like, buck, big buck, big buck. And this nice mature deer. I mean, uh, I think he's based on his body size. Mostly. I think he's probably in that five and a half year old, uh, range. I mean, just very, very big bodied buck. And, uh, you know, probably a one fifties. Wouldn't you say Caleb rack? Uh, oh yeah, all day. One one fifties ten point, and uh, he has no idea we're there. We got the wind is in our favor, you know. We're we're uh, downwind of him, and uh, he just comes in. He's doing a little bit of browsing, and uh, he's getting ready to uh, go bed down for the day, and uh, <laughs> which is a problem, right? Because. I'm hanging on the side of a tree and he's within like 15, 20 yards of us. And, uh, we're definitely in his, his zone. And, uh, it's like, what do we do now? And so, uh, the best thing I could think of was, um, I, I obviously can't come down off the tree. That's going to spook him big time. Plus I don't want to draw his attention to that tree for the future. So I told Caleb, who's down on the ground, he's down like crouched in the, in the, you know, forest floor understory. And he's, uh, I was like, Caleb, just, just quiet. You know, I'm like whispering to him, like quietly stand up, turn your back on the deer and walk in the opposite direction of the deer. And that was enough to, to spook the buck off to, you know, but he didn't like blow at us. He didn't, you know, freak out or anything like that. He just, just kind of like, Oh shoot, there's something over there and, and took off. So we very clearly found his bed. I feel like what we did definitely fits into, uh, uh, the DeQuisto's, uh, bump and dump strategy there. Like <laughs> we went in, we spooked this deer out of his bed. We figured out where his bed is. We got to stand really, you know, right on the outside edge of, of his comfort zone. Uh, definitely, you know, uh, it's not a, it's not a, I don't think it's a, within a kill shot distance to his bed, but he'll definitely be by the tree. Um, 
how are you hunting that buck hole? Should I get after him like right away in October, the first south wind that I have, which is what I what we had the other day. You know, so that'd be a good wind advantage. Um this the farm that I'm on is an October farm. Once the corn comes down, there's just not enough habitat on this farm to to hold many deer. Um, you know, deer travel it during the rut, but there's not enough doe bedding here that it's like a destination place really for the bucks during uh November. So October is really your best chance at at getting a a buck. Should I just go after him right there in his bed? Should I hunt it? You know, like, would you go in in the morning and try and get there before he's coming back to bed in the morning? Or would you wait to, you know, try I I, I don't want to try and walk in there while he's still bedded, I don't think. I mean, what would you do, Cole? Yeah, I mean, if you're, I mean, if you're that close and if it's, that type of farm that's surrounded by corn. I mean, you, you, the corn's your friend. So mm-hmm. it's basically any south wind you can get and you can hunt and the corn's still in, you better be in that stand. If you want to kill that deer, I mean, that's going to be the only way to do it. Cause as soon as that corn comes out, he's probably gone. If mm. I had to guess. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm afraid of. I mean, for sure. I mean, wrong. I don't, I don't exactly know the, property but if yeah it's it's tough i mean if you're that close with i mean he's obviously moving on that wind i mean you you could maybe pay attention to whether it was you know i don't know if there was cold front or what was going on or it was hot, I think. It was right in the middle of a warmer stretch, right? Can't, yeah. I think. Yeah, was, now, yeah. I mean, and, and there was just enough sign there. To, you could tell he's been spending September in there, um, which, I mean, that gets kind of ticky-tacky, too, where, okay, is that technically a summer pattern, or is he – I mean, I, he is hard-horned, so he's in there after he's shed his velvet. So, well, I mean, so or October 15th. I mean, that – that's probably as long as that deer is going to stay there. I mean, if I typically don't even like to, I just, the spots that I hunt, I just don't have a lot of, I mean, I know there's guys that target velvet deer and that as soon as they come hard horn, you know, that first week, October, they're in on them before they switch their patterns. But that just ain't me. I'm, I'm more of a, I want them to come, fall pattern and my cameras are and my stands are set up to do i mean yeah to ambush them when they make their switch not before their switch sure i it's just where i'm at it's just so hard to it's just such a small time frame i mean i don't even i gotta be honest i typically don't even hunt until i mean like 20th of october unless there's just a massive cold front that comes right, through right. otherwise otherwise i just i want them to i want them to get into their groove i want them to yep i want them to get into habit that's what i want them to do yep. i want them to get in that into that time where they're like, Hey, this is where I spend my fall. I'm going to start working my scrapes. 
So I'm going to start checking my does. And then I want to be there that last week, October, mm-hmm. when that first comes in heat. And that's where I want to be. Yeah. But mm-hmm. in your situation, if that deer is there right now and you're that close already, I mean, I'd be hunting that deer the first two weeks of October as much as I could, as long as the wind was right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, it's fun. And you, go ahead, Caleb. Yeah. You met, you mentioned hunting, um, on the edge of just like on the thick stuff It's kind of an interesting setup where, where Kent's going to be hunting that deer because they can't like the forest floor and the, uh, like the undergrowth opens up right off the edge of, of where he's bedding, where he's browsing at. And so really Kent's back is against a wall. There's like some brush piles and a down tree and some thick stuff that deer probably aren't spending a lot of time in. Um, but it's, it's funny. Like when you mentioned that earlier, Cole, just about some of the setups you do. And I'm thinking as I compare this scenario in my head, I'm like, Oh wow. It's actually fairly similar. Um, and, and, uh, I think, I think it's killable deer. I really think Kent's oh, going to have a great shot at him. And I, yeah, I think, yeah. And I just, <laughs> yeah, it's going to be exciting. I, can't wait to well, help and, track him down hopefully and what's, in the next what's month. interesting cole is I've, i'm coming to the same conclusion myself and i had always hunted this farm like with conventional wisdom you know like baby it until late october early november you know the, in fact caleb you remember when i said we're this is going to be a november stand right when we were setting that stand up uh, yeah. and then here he comes mm-hmm. and it's like holy cow there's already a buck a buck a mature buck bedding right here. And uh, that just totally kind of went out the window. And now I feel like I'm going to be doing the opposite. And, you know, October one comes around, we got a stiff breeze out of the South and a nice cold front. So he might be loitering a little bit more in the morning. You know, I might be looking at hunting (laughs) a morning in October (laughs) on opening day, trying to get a mature buck, you know, I just, I agree with you. I think I gotta, I think I gotta get after him right away. And you're exactly right. When the corn comes down on this farm, this farm goes from holding probably 20 to 30 deer. Like right now there's probably 20 to 30 deer on the farm. Corn comes down or, or maybe five down to maybe five deer on the farm and it's a 240 acre farm it's just we are in cropland right here in in our uh neck of the woods so they're just and, and we have one of the better timber stands of the neighbors you know so it's it it just the farm is an october farm so i agree i think i gotta get after him as early as makes sense you know, and if I, yeah, if I don't have careful, yeah, if I don't have the right wind, I mean, you can't you do bump, it. You bump that deer and you're so close to that time where he's thinking about making his fall move mm. that you bump that. You might never see him again. I mean, that's that's just from it's yeah. Cause he's, you better go he's in He's already feeling that the, he's already feeling that, that urge to go through that switch and Right. Well, he already point. wants to move. So you give him that extra push and that yeah, could be that's it. That's a great point. Smart about it. Yep. But if, if I knew, like if I could, like I just walked around that whole farm in Macomb last week and mm-hmm. well, Sunday 
And I was like, you know what? If, if I find, like, if I, I mean, I, I am a fan of the bump and dump. I mean, I've done it before. And, and I was like, you know what? If I'm in, and I kick up a good deer, like, I'm probably going to set a stand close and I'm going to try to hunt it mm, yeah. soon. Yeah. I never did, but I, I have used that in the past and it's worked out really well for me. But I, I think it's say, a unique scenario, right? Like it's a pretty unique thing to, to find that pocket, I think. Yep. It is. It is. And it can work great, but where I, I mean, I've done it several times and, you know, if it doesn't work out and that deer catches your wind or he knows that you're there, it's over. Yeah. I mean, I, I very rarely, I mean, I've done it a couple times where I was actually hunting this great big six pointer. I mean, he's a hunter. That's so cool. I, I think well, I found a shed and we scored it. And he was 127 inch shed or 127 oh. six pointer, and oh, you know his longest time was eight. Inches. So oh. like he, I mean, just beer cans, you know, just yeah. super heavy. That's yeah. awesome. But I, I actually found that deer really early, and he worked a scrape. I rattled him in, called him in. He came in to like 70 yards walked into this great big open bottom didn't see another deer folded never seen him again found him dead two years later oh <laughs> man so i mean it, it is it's a catch 22 man you gotta you gotta be confident in what you're doing and but you gotta know the risk i mean if yeah which if you know that there's not a lot of deer that are going to stay there after the corn's out. I, I don't see any reason not to get a little aggressive and yeah, yeah. And there, if the wind and close, you know, right. And there will still be hope, you know, in November. In fact, I think I saw this buck last November. I almost got a shot on him, uh, uh like November fourth or something like that. And uh, so. Even if he doesn't come back, I think there will be and in years past I've seen bucks in there too, you know. Like it, it is one of the best. Like even though there is it's super unreliable during the rut, there's usually a buck one buck on the farm every day during the rut, either cruising or or even finding a hot doe out there or something like that. And so I think like that stand will still be useful even if even if i push him off so like you said you know it's just because of the unique structure of the farm and the reality of what the deer do on this farm yeah. it's worth it to be a, like that you can't you can't think like that you gotta yeah you gotta that's go right in yeah there gotta go these. get it done <laughs> i'll send you the video of the you know? of the deer after uh we're off the, the call here but he's a pretty cool buck <laughs> but uh yeah, I really, I'm, I'm already dreaming about him, and I don't know. I feel like, I feel like I'm gonna go in. I don't want to jinx myself, but I feel like I'm gonna go in there and get it done. I just do. I, I think. Uh, I mean, if you're doing, sim I mean, if you're on a similar wind, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, similar time frame. I mean, 
more than likely going to do the same thing. They're not, I know everybody thinks they're just mature deer are just the smartest thing since Einstein, but I mean, they're, they are creatures of habit. Yeah. So if yep. he's doing, if it's the same situation and that corn is still in, I mean, it's not, it ain't sweet anymore. So he's there because he likes to be there. Right. So I, I don't think he's going to do a whole lot of different stuff. So he's just comfy. He's comfy there, you know, and I think that's the thing that mature deer like their little comfort zone. And it's one of those, it's, it's a, it's, it's a play, it's a pocket that like Kent was describing. You're just, you really couldn't see him from like any angle. He's just so hidden in there. Um, and Kent just happens to have this little pocket right there that he likes and pretty unique. Yeah. Yeah. It's a money spot. Get in there and kill him. Yep. That's, <laughs> that's what I'm going to do. And, and wind, I think is going to be, wind is going to be the biggest factor. Normally for me, a cold front is the biggest factor, but in this case, I already, you know, I'm not so dependent on him moving around. I mean, I think, uh, I think, a, I think a cold front, I mean, what'd you say? I said I, the day before I killed Tommy, I was, I had stripped down to everything but a long sleeve shirt and jeans. Yeah. So don't let that fool you. I mean, it, I killed the uh, first giant deer I killed. That's like 170 inches. I mean, it was probably 70 degrees out. I mean, wow. it, you gotta be there at the right time and you gotta know, you know, you, you gotta have a understanding of what you're doing and, yep. you know, things can happen at well, and the, the, the craziest time. Yep. And the, the, the thing that I'm telling myself too, is even if it's a warm, a warm day, where's he going to be? Well, he's going to be in his bed in the shade. And so, that's where I need to be is, is in position to, to be there too. But I'm thinking, I'm thinking a morning hunt is probably best. So that way, um, you know, hopefully I can get there bef- as he's coming back. I can already be in my stand from being out feeding at night, but, uh, kind of like what, I don't know if that's what happened this last time, or maybe we bumped him a little bit when we were coming in and then he was coming back. I don't know, but I don't think we bumped him earlier because he came back in there not on alert at all. <laughs> he was, mm-hmm. he was, uh, he was totally comfortable in there. So it was, I think we just caught him when he was coming back to bed that morning. So that's what, that's what I hopefully will be able to do again, but enough talking about my situation here. Uh, we'll wrap it. We'll wrap it up here. Uh, what do you got going for this year, buddy? Well, I am still after that big eight. Awesome. That I was originally at here. And, uh, we actually went out shed hunting with me and my oldest boy and my brother and his oldest boy. And we found both sides to that deer and I mean he's a giant but he's on I mean he's a hundred and I think we scored him at like 154 but he's just a straight eight um that is probably the deer I'm after on my home farm uh just strictly because he's a bully and mm. he's big and he's seven and a half and I mean it, 
that's kind of how I've kind of molded the farm this year towards trying to get him to feel, I mean, more in his element, you know, moving trees and, and trying to get him comfortable. He hasn't showed up yet, but he typically doesn't. I don't think I've ever have a, I've never had a velvet picture of him, but we found his sheds four years in a row now. So he's, he's on the, every year so that that is definitely the deer that i'm after this year um probably first and foremost but um on my farm down south there's a deer that is he was probably close to 70 like 170 last year um so kind of have an area that i think he's in so i set up I put a stand there on Sunday and a camera and then, you know, down there, it's not always, um, I don't always have a great idea what deer I'm after, but, um, I know that there's, (laughs) there's three deer that are going to be really, really big and we're talking 180. Oh man. That's awesome. Well, if there's anybody that can uh, piece the puzzle together, it's definitely Cole. You, you've shown that year after year, buddy. And, and uh, you know, I want to thank you again just for being a friend of the show and a friend of mine and, uh, you know, somebody who's helped me improve as a deer hunter so much since starting this podcast. You know, it's it's crazy that we can have these deeper conversations now and it's only because of guys like you that have taught me so much to where I know how to ask more meaningful questions and pick up on, on, you know, your coaching points and everything that you give me. So, uh, thanks again, buddy, for, for, uh, being around for the show for all these years. Yeah, man. I no, no problem at all. I'll continue. And, um, as much as I can, help other people i mean i i'm to the point in my hunting career where i guess i kind of i mean it it gives me it's beneficial for me to to let let other people know how i do it and hopefully that can help somebody else along the way and yeah um i'm glad it's it's not it ain't no skin off my back i'm not one of those people that are gonna keep secrets i mean there's i'll I'll tell you exactly how i do the things i do and why i do it and what can happen if you do it i mean that's just i don't i don't understand anybody that is any different so yeah i'm happy to do it yep well but it's it certainly makes the hunting place a better place and and uh you know what it lays down the foundation for our kids someday you know i think uh that's something that's kind of come under fire recently is oh we got too many hunters now and it's so hard to and it's like look if we lose hunters we lose hunting eventually you know and i want i want my kids and my grandkids and 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 on and on from there to be able to enjoy one of the greatest expressions of our freedoms here in America, I think, in my opinion, being able to go out and hunt and, uh, 
you know what, the more that we pour into people and teach them how to hunt, the more people are willing to stick it, stick it out and, and, uh, become a positive voice and support hunting going on into the future. So I think it's uh it's a good investment you've made and hopefully that, uh, Caleb and I have made as well. And thank you, Caleb, for coming on tonight, short notice and, uh, co-hosting and, and, uh, uh, just a great conversation here with you guys. Thank you to everyone listening in. Uh, you can really thank me by going and, uh, doing some business with a couple of the partners here. First of all, the presenting sponsor of the podcast is Spartan Forge. Uh, you can get over there that we have an episode, an updated interview with Bill uh, talking about a lot of the new things that have come out with Spartan Forge from mapping to uh, deer behavior prediction. Uh, I, I mean, just, just uh, there, there's there's so much coming out in the very near future that once again changes the game there. So uh, be paying attention to that and get over there, get pick up your subscription and uh, it'll be well worth your uh, money and uh, it'll be a good tool to have in your pocket this deer season. And then of course, don't forget about your Western hunting dreams or maybe your Eastern or Southern or Northern, wherever you want to go. Uh, Alex Gruen from East West Hunts will get you there. Be sure when you check out, you use the promo code FIRSTGEN10, save yourself 10% off of that. And, uh, you know, explore everything Alex has to offer uh, through that. And uh, until next time, you know, get out there, shoot your bow, get those last stands hung up. But most importantly, take care and take someone hunting. <laughs>